Hello and welcome to this message from the river. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. We are continuing on with our series Committed to Contentment. Committed to Contentment. Our series text is found in Philippians 4.11. It says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Last week I spoke to you about guarding our heart against discontentment. I shared with you from the passage in Revelation 3.7 that says, God opens doors that no man can shut and He shuts doors that no man can open. We serve a God that is able to run the door of our heart. Amen? He is able to control what goes in and what goes out. He's able to handle whatever opposition may come against that door. And He is there to be that guard, that guard over our heart and over our mind and over our soul. God is the one that we have to station at the door of our heart. Can somebody say amen? Amen. We need to let Christ run the door. If I run the door, invariably what I'm going to find is I'm letting in things that I shouldn't and I'm keeping things out that I should be letting in. Jesus is always best at running the door. Amen. Last week I also talked to you about how contentment closes the door to comparison. Contentment closes the door to comparison. And I told you that where comparison begins, contentment ends. When we spend our lives comparing to what other people are doing, where other people are at, what other people may have going for them, and what other people may not have going for them, we start to forfeit our contentment because we are comparing our lives to someone else. The only person that we're running a race in this life against is us. We're not competing against anybody. If we're doing anything, we're helping to bear the burden with one another to get where we're all trying to go. Amen? Amen. And so when we start comparing, when we start finding ourselves getting caught up in a pattern of comparison, exactly what happens is we begin to forfeit contentment in the process and we begin to allow covetousness to enter in along with a number of other things that are ushered in by that wedge of discontentment being uh, put at the door of our heart and causing it to remain open. So today we're going to continue with our series, or continue with the message I started last week, and that is guarding our heart against discontentment. Guarding our heart against discontentment. So we're going to continue to close the door to some things in our lives. Is everybody on board with that this morning? We need to close the door to something. Matthew 5, 5 says, You're blessed when you're content with just who you are and no more and no less. That's the moment that you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. The best things in life can't be bought. Amen? The best things in lives are not things that you're going to go down to Walmart or Target or to wherever your favorite store is and pick them up. You're not going to find them there. You're not going to find them on a car lot. You're not going to find them in a new home. You're not going to find them at a job. You're not going to find them in any of those places because they come from Jesus Christ and Him alone. And the true and the best things in life are ushered through the one who is the giver of life, and that is Jesus Christ. And so when we find ourselves content with just who we are, where we're at, what we're going through in life, 
what we're dealing with at this current moment and trusting God through those difficulties and challenges. That's the moment that we find ourselves the very proud owners of things that cannot be purchased. When God talks to us about a peace that passes all understanding, and even though I'm facing some challenges in my life currently that may be overwhelming to me, but there is a peace that ushers into my soul and into my spirit that I cannot even begin to explain. That's things that can't be bought. When I find myself with really nothing before me that offers me hope, yet I find some hope in Jesus Christ, and I know that no matter what I see, there's still something better for me on the other side of it. That's when I find myself with hope that cannot be bought. Contentment cannot be bought. It's something that we must embrace through a relationship with God and with Jesus. I told you, Uh, as we began this series talking about contentment, that contentment is a choice. And I just want to go back there for just a moment because I think that we have to understand that every single day I have to get up and decide and choose that I want contentment in my life. When I'm driving down the road and someone cuts me off, I have a choice. I can lose my peace, lose my anger. I can get upset Or I can choose contentment in that moment. When things don't go right and I'm trying to get to work and I can't get the kids out of the house and I can't seem to get the the things going for the morning, I can choose to lose my cool, lose my calm, or I can make a choice to embrace contentment. It's a choice. And we have to decide whether or not we want to choose to embrace contentment or if we want to forfeit it with everything that the enemy throws in our pathway. Because I promise you, unless the stars are just aligning perfectly for you in a single moment, there's going to be a hitch along the way. And there's going to be some things that don't work out like we planned. I don't know of anything that's ever worked out like I planned. Does anybody else suffer from that? I mean, I make great plans. I think through the process. I'm not a wing it kind of guy by any means. And I'll think through the plans. But listen, there's along the way, there's things that come up that just don't go like I planned. Variables that we can never calculate for or consider. I have a choice in those moments. I can throw out contentment. I can throw out my peace. I can throw out my trust and faith in God. And I can get frustrated in a moment or I can say, whoa, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. You know, Lacey Tatum's famous line is, calm down, you ain't dead. (laughs) Did I say that right? Or you you ain't dead, calm down. Either way, it works both ways. You ain't dead, calm down. And I think that that is a great life quote. The, the, The source is sketchy. But, 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 the, but the material is solid, I'm telling you. The material is solid. You ain't dead, calm down. Right? Maybe that's a good quote for us to learn to say to someone that's, uh, that we're walking in life together with. Is, hey, you ain't dead, calm down. Relax. Well, my car won't start. It's okay. It could be worse, right? I lost my keys in the car. It's okay. It could be worse. I'm wearing two different shoes this morning. It could be worse. Whatever it is, it could be worse. And I think that that's really where we start getting the perspective on our situation. The fact is, we are all pretty blessed. 
The fact is we're all pretty blessed. I mean, we all find ourselves in pretty good situations, and I don't discount or discredit or minimize at all the difficulties that you may be facing in your life in this current moment. But I'm just telling you today it could be worse. And the good thing about it is you've got a church family that wants to surround you and lift you up. But more important than even that is you've got a Savior that's in your corner. And He's standing on your behalf and fighting for you. Amen? So let's talk about some things this morning that contentment will help to guard your heart against. First of all, contentment closes the door to double-mindedness. Contentment closes the door to double-mindedness. James 1.8 says, He is a double-minded man unstable in all of his ways. So it tells us there's a truth here in this scripture that if we're double-minded, we're going to find that we are unstable in all of our ways. What is a double-minded person? A double-minded person is one that is always changing their minds. They're always changing life course. They're always changing the trajectory of their lives. They're, They're making big moves and big decisions constantly and they're not sticking with the path and committing to a course of action. They're not allowing God to come alongside them and bless the track that they've established. Instability results when we are double-minded. Our double-mindedness manifests itself through constant life change and constant changes in decisions and constantly deciding, I want to do this this day and the next day I want to do this instead. Simply put, instability is created by living with too many options. It's created by living with too many options. Let me read to you James 1.8 from the Message Bible. It says this concerning a double-minded man. He is a drifted sea. Now, I don't know, have you ever... I talked about Shark Week last week. I'm a big fan. Obviously, nobody else in the church shares my enthusiasm for that, but that's okay because there's still some great analogies there. Have you ever watched any of those shows where people are adrift at sea? They're just floating out there and there is no way they can direct their course. There's no way they can control their destiny. They are just simply at the mercy of the winds and the waves and the hope that somebody will drift along and find them. I can think of a lot of places that I would rather be lost at than see. Terrifying. And I can't even imagine at night how terrifying it would be. Adrift at sea. That's what the Bible says a double-minded man is like. He's just adrift at sea. It goes on to say this, that, that he is keeping all your options open. I'm keeping my options open. Now, we've all heard people say that, right? Well, I don't want to commit to this course because I'm keeping my options open. I've been going to college for 42 years, but I haven't decided on a major because I'm keeping my options open. I'm still living at home with mom and dad because I'm keeping my options open. Parents, that'd be a good amen point. Especially if you've got Junior living in your basement still. I'm trying to help you. Keeping our options open, living with too many options in our lives. Narrowing our field of options concentrates our energy toward advancement. Narrowing our field of options concentrates our energy toward advancement. A lot of people don't get any advancement in their life because they've got energy spread out all over the place. You can only do so many things and you can only do so many things well. 
And if you try to put your energy into a number of different areas that are not, you're not your gifting, it's not what God's calling you to do, you're finding yourself spread out all over the place and you're not going anywhere. You're adrift at sea living with too many options. When we decide what God's plan for our lives is, when we decide what we want out of our own life, then we can narrow our field of options and we can decide these are things that advance me toward that goal and these are things that do not. And if they do not, then I don't want to put any energy over here. I want to keep it where it's making an impact in my life and where it's really lifting me and advancing me. Living with too many options. Well, I don't know if I want to go to church today or not. You're living with too many options. I don't know if I want to keep this job or go find another job. You know, sometimes we battle with those issues and we have to battle with those issues. But at some point, we have to make up our mind where we're going to commit to. We have to make a decision and we have to stick with it. There's some things that ought to not be options. Being a part of a, a, a good church ought to not be an option for people. Because why? Because the Bible tells us very clearly that that's what we need to do. And so we live our lives adrift at sea oftentimes living with too many options because we have yet to narrow that field of options and concentrate that energy toward a thing that advances us toward the life that we desire and the life that we want. And I just say this, regardless of the life change, even if it's a positive one, regardless of what it is, it creates instability for a season. I can promise you that that we were sent here By God, we have no doubts about that God sent us here. But when we came here, it created a season of instability in our lives. It's what God wanted, but for a season, we were unstable. We were were struggling to connect with people, to learn what we're supposed to do, what's required of us, what's expected of us, you know, how to make things happen. And so there's a season of that in, in everybody's life. But at some point, that season has to come to an end. You have to make a decision on what you want to do, and you have to stick with it. If we... You know, most pastors, I think the average tenure of pastors are 18 months. 18 months. And so for me, if I'm constantly changing churches every 18 months, what kind of stability am I providing for my family? None. We're constantly in a state of disruption, of of trying to find ourselves in the process. I know people that have, have every year, every year they're looking for a new job looking for a new ministry position. And they may have been doing that for 20 years. And they'll put on their resume that they have 20 years experience. I'm saying, no, you don't. You got one year experience reproduced 20 different times. But you haven't learned how to stick past that initial year. There's going to be challenges along the way. There's going to be times when you feel like this ain't working out. But it's when you commit to a path when you say, that's not an option for me anymore. I'm not doing that. I've, I've made up my mind and I have, have committed my path unto the Lord and I'm waiting on Him to come alongside me and bless my path, to shine His light upon it, to establish my ways. Then we give Him a chance to do that and He will do just that. Constant life changes are unsustainable. New behaviors, listen to me, new behaviors are necessary. And I've been talking to you a lot about new behaviors, but continually creating new behaviors creates an unsustainable pattern in my life. Discontentment constantly works against us, creating and establishing positive patterns of behavior. What discontentment does 
is it causes us to be dissatisfied with where we are and so we open our field of options up and we start looking for other things that will satisfy us. And it just creates more instability, more double-mindedness, and more discontentment is ushered in in the process. It's like this. It's like a person, you've heard this, people trying to find happiness. I'm just trying to find myself. I'm trying to find happiness. I'm trying to find something that, that makes me happy. Well, they'll, they'll look in all different places. They've just got their options completely open to them. They're, they're looking to friends. They're looking to, to different um, things in their life that they can try to fill a hole in, in, in with and, and just doing all these different things instead of making a commitment to a course and allowing and trusting God to come alongside and to bless them with the life that they truly desire. God knows the desires of your heart. God knows the desires of your heart. He put them there. And He, uh, if no, who else knows how to fulfill them better than He does? No one. And so I'm just saying, we can't just spend our lives looking for something when the answer is right in front of us and the answer is Jesus Himself. At some point, I have to make some decisions and stick with them. If I don't, I just continually remain in this state of flux, of fluctuation. And what I'm saying is that when we don't close the door to double-mindedness, we leave no place for God to operate and bless our course. We dismantle the very track of advancement that we're trying to, to walk on, and what does develop in the process is discontentment. Decide what you want. Decide what God wants for your life and make a commitment to stick with it no matter what. Young lady, young man, make a course decision. And just because some good-looking gal or some good-looking guy comes along, don't change your whole life's course because of it. Just because you get a new job offer that sounds wonderful, don't just jump at it. Make a commitment to stay somewhere. A lot of people can't ever advance because they never stay anywhere long enough to advance. I love stories of reading how people who are CEOs now started off sweeping floors. And there's numbers of them out there. Why is that? Because they found a job, they stuck with a job, and they allowed God to bless them in their job, and they did what they were able to do to the best of their ability, and somebody come along and saw the favor of God on them, gave them a promotion, they did it again at the, at the next level, God gave them another promotion, they did it again at the next level, and before long they're at the top. Why? Because they made up their mind that I'm going to do this, and I'm going to let God bless my course, and God elevated them to the place that they desired. You'll not get anywhere in life being double-minded. The only place you're going to get being double-minded is a place of discontentment. Now, I want to say this to you because I have to bring some balance to this, and that is that not keeping any options open leads to inflexibility. It leads to rigidity. It leads, leads to dogmatism. And we don't want that either. We don't want to be so inflexible that we're not open to anything that God might be trying to do in our lives that are new. We don't want to be so, so dogmatic about our point of view and about our placement that we don't allow a blessing to come into our lives. We don't want to squeeze that out. But keeping too many options open means I'm living with an unprincipled life. So be consistent but flexible. Be determined but open-minded. 
and maintain the right balance. When I get in trouble, where I get in trouble is when I give myself options that exist outside of the Word of God. That's where I get in trouble. When I start looking for answers that exist outside of God's Word. When I start trying to seek options that exist outside of God's Word, that's where I get in trouble. First of all, it's sin. And second of all, it makes, it, uh, makes me into my own idol. Because the reality is that it says that I know better for myself than what God does. And so I become my own God in the process. And I decide my own way because my ways are better than His ways. And instead of believing the scripture that says God's ways are higher than my ways, His thoughts are higher than my thoughts, what I'm actually saying is my ways are better than God's ways. My thoughts are higher than His thoughts. What I do should always be a reflection of who I am. An example of that is just simply this. I don't treat others based on the way they treat me. That's not an option for me. That's not what the Bible says. That's not the golden rule. I treat others the way they treat me, the golden rule. No. The golden rule is you treat others the way you want to be treated. So I do that not because of any other reason, but because that's what God's Word is. That's the options that I have. It has narrowed my field of options. And that's who I am in Christ Jesus. And so we're going to treat people right regardless of what they do because it doesn't matter. I'm not giving an account for their actions. I'm giving an account for my actions. Amen? 2 Corinthians 10.4 It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The second thing that contentment closes the door to is strongholds. Contentment closes the door to strongholds. What is a stronghold, pastor? Stronghold is this. It's when negative patterns of behavior become fortified in our minds. At that point, they have become strongholds. When behaviors, ideas, thought life, the way that we think about the world that's based in untruth, when those things become solidified and fortified in our minds, they have become strongholds. Strongholds don't begin as strongholds. You don't just wake up with a stronghold. You don't just wake up and think, oh, wow, I think completely different about this situation and nobody's going to change my mind. It doesn't happen that way. It happens over time. And it happens like this. It happens when we begin allowing allowances or indulgences that we allow ourselves because we have a measure of internal dissatisfaction. In other words, it starts when I am dissatisfied in my spirit, I'm dissatisfied in my soul, and I start looking beyond God's word for options that fulfill something in my life. I give myself an allowance. I give myself an indulgence. And I say, this is okay because I'm unhappy, therefore I'm going to allow this into my life. And so it begins that way. After that, it moves on and becomes a pattern of behavior that later graduates to addictions and ultimately may become strongholds in my life if they're left unchallenged or un, uh, untaken care of. No one here in this building is perfected in the faith. Now, I know that may be a shock to some. 
I should have prepared you before I gave you that statement. But no one in this building is perfected in the faith. Some of you have a, a look on your face that, that disagrees with that, but I'm just telling you, if you don't believe that, ask, ask your wife, ask your husband, ask your children, ask your, ask some, ask your pastor. And I'll tell you that no one in this building is perfected in the faith, including myself. We've got a long ways to go. We're still working toward being perfected and fully conforming to Christ's image. And as long as we're in this life, we're going to continue on this path of trying to become what God wants us to be in the process of being what God has already made us become, right? And so it's this constant challenge of growing in Him and developing our relationship with Him and conforming to His image, and we never achieve that in this life. Now someday we're going to step over into glory and the Bible tells us that we're going to be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye and we are going to be glorified with Christ. We're going to be perfected at that moment. But that doesn't happen on this side. And so everyone here has areas where we're vulnerable. Everybody here has areas where the enemy sees potential to set up strongholds in your life. And if you're not careful, you'll find yourself on a path toward that before you even know it and and realize it. Finding contentment in Christ, basing our lives in contentment and centering ourselves in Jesus fortifies us against strongholds because it centers us in who Jesus is Himself. And rather than looking to other things to meet the needs that we have, the desires that we have to feel the dissatisfaction in our lives, we rather we look to Him. And because we look to Him, He takes care of it. He meets our needs. He fulfills us and brings that satisfaction and contentment to our lives. And so instead of looking to other things, I look to Him. I'm discontent a lot of times, so what do people do? I'm discontent, so I look to alcohol or drugs, something to dull the pain of my discontentment. I'm discontent in my marriage, so I look to pornography or something more subtle like being flirtatious or not guarding my eyes against lust. And so I'm, I'm allowing that to come in or I'm discontent discontent so I gamble something to expedite fulfillment of my insatiable wants or desires or maybe there's some more subtle ones that we fall trapped to I'm discontent so I overeat and I let eating become something that brings fulfillment to my life rather than Christ I'm discontent so I become critical and I go around pointing out everybody else's flaws then addressing my own dissatisfaction I'm discontent So I gossip because it's so much easier to talk about everybody else's problems than to really address my own. And so all of these things become opportunities for the enemy to begin inserting himself into my life. I start making allowances and and broadening my field of options and allowing things that exist outside of God's Word to be the fulfillment that I'm looking for when in reality they don't. All they do is eat at your soul. They create bigger holes. They're like acid that just eats away. And the more acid you pour into your spirit, the bigger the hole gets. Because only God and only Jesus can make that right. Ephesians 4.27 says, Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Don't give the devil, the enemy of your soul, that kind of foothold. In your life, I said last week that discontentment creates idleness and restlessness, and those are prime opportunities for the enemy to tempt us with sin. 
Those are prime opportunities for the enemy to come in and say, hey, the reason you're not happy, the reason you're not satisfied is because you don't have anything to do. Why don't you do this? Why don't you be a part of this thing? Why don't you go try to dull your pain with this? Don't give the enemy a foothold. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says that God is not the author of confusion but of peace. And the last one that I want to share with you this morning is that contentment closes the door to confusion. Contentment closes the door to confusion. Confusion thrives where contentment has died. Confusion thrives where contentment has died. The enemy, the enemy, the devil is the author of confusion, not God. His tactic is to always divide and to destroy. That's the only game plan that he has is to divide and to destroy. Now he may paint a pretty picture for you He may offer you a lot of things that seem to to bring about some fulfillment in your life, but the fact is at the end of the day, when the books are balanced, the only thing that you're going to find is division and destruction when we submit to what the enemy has for our lives. That's all he's offering. His tactic is always to divide and destroy. He He looks for individuals whom he can leverage their discontent and create confusion and chaos. A person that is discontent generally is open to all kinds of things. Why? Because we're trying to, we're we're unhappy. We're not not pleased. We're not fulfilled. We're not whole. And so we are uh, in a state of confusion a lot of times. We are uh, critical. We are complainers. We are people that are not happy with life. And so, so we don't want anybody else to be happy as well. You know, confusion... And uh, discontentment likes company, right? They never work alone. And so they're always looking for others with the same spirit, with the same troubles, to bring them on board. Now I'm going to say something this morning that uh, may be hard to swallow. But I want you just to, to evaluate it and then you can take it or leave it. Maybe I'll mark it in my notes not to mention it if I ever preach this again. But if you are a person that every time there's a complaint or every time there's some kind of divisive thing going on that people come to you and share that information, I would have to ask myself why. Because generally what I find is complainers find other complainers. People that are People that are divisive tend to find other people that are divisive. That's not always the case. And I will say that that's, I mean, that's not always the case. Sometimes you're in leadership. Sometimes you're in a place where people have to come to you. But I just think we have to be careful not to become a, a tool of the enemy to continue confusion, rather be a person that puts an end to confusion. You have a choice. You can feed that fire or you can douse that fire. And we are all given the responsibility of keeping a church united, keeping our families united, keeping our job healthy, right? We've all worked with that person, right? 
that every time, there's always a conflict in the office, it always centers around one person. There's always a common denominator in that office conflict, and it's the same individual. Now, it, it, it deals with different people throughout the office, but you'll always find that common denominator. Don't be a complainer. Don't be divisive. If you have a legitimate thing, that's not complaining. There's a difference between complaining and having a, gen, a, a, a legitimate concern. A legitimate concern is one that has the best interest of people in mind. A complaint is one that only has your interest in mind. Now that's good right there. Somebody write that down. That needs to be tweeted because that's the truth. When the complaints are always about you and your discontentment, but if it's a concern that is actually about the church or about some, some of your family or about some your job and it's actually meant to advance the cause and to bring people together, that's the stuff everybody needs to hear and, and should want to hear. But when it's divisive and when it's only about you, we have to evaluate those things. A discontent, discontent soul will always be vulnerable to being a complainer and a catalyst for confusion. So don't let discontentment cause you to be that. Philippians 2.14 2, says this, Do all things all things, without complaining and disputing. Why? That you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. What is our charge here? It is to shine as lights in the world. We don't want to be found harmful. Or full of blame. Because of why? Because we've allowed complaining and disputing to become the course of our lives, flowing out of the discontentment that we have and shutting the light off that we have to the world. If you're going to be a complainer and a gripper and a troublemaker, please do not invite anybody to the river. Because probably whoever you invite is going to say, I don't want to be a part of that. goes on to say, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. Holding fast to what? The word of life. The word of life. There is no life in complaining and grumbling and, and disunity. There's no life in that. Holding on to the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Discontentment gives us that consent to complain, contentment helps us to work together to advance the overall cause that we're living for and working for. Complaining leads to a critical spirit and that becomes a stronghold in our lives if we're not careful. We don't want critical spirits, right? There's been seasons in my life where I have been frustrated to the point that I've allowed the door to be open to some critical spirits in my life where I've just been, nothing makes me happy, nothing pleases me, nothing is right, everything's junk. That's a miserable place to live. It's a miserable place to live and it's a person that has not found contentment in Jesus Christ. 
Critical spirit makes you an accuser. It makes you an accuser. It makes you a questioner of motives and takes the fundamental belief in people and their goodness out of the equation. It's easy to develop a critical spirit when our focus is not on Christ. Because of why? Because people will disappoint you. People will disappoint you, but when our focus is on Jesus, we can forgive and we can move on. So I want you this morning, I want us to close the door to discontentment. We have got to guard our heart. Guarding our heart is a choice that we make. It's a choice we make. And so guard our heart against double-mindedness, against strongholds, against confusion. You know, when people come to you with confusion, you have to decide whether or not you want to take that mantle on or not. Sometimes God puts people in your life that you are to help. And then sometimes the people uh, that, that are bringing confusion to you are not from God at all. They're just from the enemy who's trying to rob you of your peace. And so you better have a gift of discernment and a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit to decide who's who and what's what. We are not called to be everybody's Savior, right? And so everybody that comes to us with a problem is not our burden to bear. Not that we don't pray for them, not that we don't love them, but I can't carry everybody's weight. That's why we need a family to do that, a church family to do that, and we have to share that together. And so you have to be, you have to be careful with what you take on and what is yours, and that's about keeping balance as well. I'm going to ask Amber to come back to the piano this morning. If you would all stand with me across this place, altar workers, please come this morning. Now with just an attitude of worship there and just a mindset of prayer, no one looking around. If you're here, we've got altar workers here at these altars and they're here to pray with you. If you have something huge in your life, something that you feel like you have forfeited to discontentment, then I want you and your partner and who you're praying with, I want you all to come together. And I want you to let one of these pray with you and let God touch both of you in that situation. The Bible says where two or more agree on any one thing, it'll be given. And so if you need prayer in your body for healing, if you need prayer over what we've spoken about this morning, if you need salvation, don't come by yourself. You bring somebody with you this morning, your, your person that's praying with you. These altars are open. I'm going to invite you to come. If you need prayer this morning for anything, healing in your body, if you need some peace in your mind, if you need salvation this morning, would you come? Would you come? Grab the hand of that person and say, would you go with me? Ask them if they need to go down there and tell them that you'll go with them to the altar. Would you come? Let God touch you this morning and let God minister to you today. We encourage you to come experience life with us at the river.